If you have Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 as we conclude our uh, season of waiting series. I didn't know how I was going to conclude this one. I wanted to talk about that just because you're waiting on God doesn't mean that God's not waiting on you. That sometimes that you're waiting on God to answer a prayer, and the Bible says you have not because you ask not. Maybe God is asking you to ask. Maybe God is asking you to take a step. Maybe God is waiting on you to return. Maybe God is waiting on you to, to confess. Maybe God is waiting on you. Maybe God is waiting on you. But sometimes, I think in the waiting season, we get frustrated because we don't know if the, worth, the wait is worth it or not. So what do you mean, Pastor? Well, I, I don't prefer waiting. Like, I hate, Toya likes music parks. Uh, Ryan had a volleyball tournament in Orlando, went to Disney World. I despise it because literally you're paying money to wait in line. Like, I can do that for free at Popeye's. I don't have to go to Disney World to do that. To wait in line and you wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. Did you get on this ride and the ride lasts like 37 seconds, but you wait in line for an hour and a half. Or you go to uh, the carnival where you wait in line to get on a contraption that's going to kill you and your family once you get on it. Like, like I, I don't like waiting because many times the waiting's not worth it. And I think sometimes spiritually when we're waiting on God, we get frustrated because we're not sure the waiting's actually worth it. Like we won't say that out loud, but we don't think that when God fulfills this promise, is it actually going to be worth me wasting my time for? And, and to understand that, you got to realize that while you're waiting, God is working, God is preparing things for you, and I promise you it will be worth it. Like, like, we go through the drive-thru. Some of y'all heard me tell this story before, but I'm a firm believer that if it says a number three or a number four, they put those numbers there for a reason. You order a number three. The only question you should be answering is upsized or downsized, and the answer is always upsized. Toy, on the other hand, she thinks if she goes to Chick-fil-A, she's at Morton's Steakhouse. So she doesn't order by the number. She orders by request. And so when she orders something, she's ordering, you know, you know, I know you have this chicken sandwich, but I would like the chicken sandwich, but can you make sure there's no mayo on there? Make sure there's some extra pickles. Make sure you take this off and add this on. By the time she gets done ordering, she took a number three, made it a number four, minus a number two, and it's somewhere not even on the menu. And almost every single time she goes through her ordering process, when I pull up, they'll say, sir, your order's not quite ready yet. Could you pull forward? Which means now you just entered into fast food purgatory. Because when you pull up to that little parking spot, you don't know if they forget about you. They're, you know, it's 14-year-old potheads working at the cash register. You don't know if they're going to forget that you ordered this number three that wasn't number four. It's turned into a number 17. Like, you don't know. So you're waiting and waiting, even though I've already got my food. And when I got my food, it was soggy fries. It probably been sitting there for a couple of hours. They just gave my food because I ordered number three. When hers comes out, it is exactly like it's supposed to be. You know why? They know if somebody orders like that, they will quickly complain if it's not. But two, it was made fresh, it was made hot, and it was made specifically and uniquely for her. I promise you, no one else in the Shoals area has ever eaten whatever she does order. And when you think about God, sometimes you're in a waiting season because God doesn't just give cookie-cutter answers to prayer. 
God doesn't just give you a number three or a number four for what you ask for. When God answers your prayer, he's actually recreating and restructuring and reorganizing, realigning, and creating something specifically and uniquely for you. So sometimes when you pray, God will ask you, can you please just pull up a little bit and wait for just a second? And you have the option, you can get mad. <laughs> What's God doing? No, no, I can promise you, if you realize that what he's doing for you is going to be worth it, while you wait, you know it's going to come out fresh, hot, and specific for you. The waiting is worth it. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. It says, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. I'm going to read that again. I'm going to break it down. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nobody's seen what God is bringing your way. Nobody's ever witnessed what God is bringing your way. No one's ever heard about what God is bringing you. No one's ever heard about how God is going to answer your prayer. And the heart can't even imagine what God is actually working on for you at this moment in time. Like your heart can't dream big enough, your heart can't imagine big enough what God is preparing for those who love him. You need to realize that while you wait, God is preparing something for you that your heart can't even imagine how good it's going to be. Because anything God does exceeds expectations. God doesn't do anything mediocre. God doesn't do anything that's average. God doesn't do anything that's subpar. God doesn't do anything that's below the standards. God always exceeds overly and abundantly anything you would ever ask, dream, or think. When you look at the Bible, he doesn't just answer prayers. He answers prayers above and beyond. When God fulfills a promise, he doesn't just fulfill it smallly. He fulfills it in a way that's over and beyond. That God is a God of more than enough. And when he answers prayers, he answers it in a way that he's going to show you that he's given you more than you had asked for, more than you could ever dream of, more and better than you could ever, ever, ever imagined. In Ephesians 3.20, it says it this way. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What he is saying is beyond your thinking, beyond your praying, beyond what you could speak, beyond God does more abundantly than you could ever dream or think. And so while you're waiting in line, you don't need to be thinking, I don't know if it's worth it. You need to be stirring your faith and stirring your heart to think, man, if I'm waiting this long, I wonder what he's working on. If I'm waiting this long, I wonder what he's cooking up there in the kitchen. If I'm waiting this long, I wonder what he's building up for me. If I'm waiting this long, I wonder what he's preparing. If I'm waiting this long, I wonder what he's cooking up for for me and my family. If I'm waiting this long, man, it's going to be good. And it stirs your faith and expectation for what God the Father is actually working on for you. Because while you are waiting, God is working while you're waiting, if, if we're the Chick-fil-A drive-thru and we're sitting there waiting, guess what they're doing? They're back there behind the scenes cooking up exactly what Toya asked for. 
They're back there preparing the food, cooking the food, packaging the food, getting the food ready to deliver out to the While you're waiting, you're not waiting in vain. While you're waiting, you're not wasting time. While you're waiting, you may not be working, but God is working. You just don't see it. You know why you don't see it? Because if you're at the doctor's office, you think, oh, what's taking this doctor so long? You don't realize he's back there working on other patients, but also preparing for you. When you're sitting in a restaurant waiting on your food, it's not like nothing's happening behind the wall and behind the door. There's a team of chefs and cooks that are preparing and cooking what you're about to eat. In the same way, you may not see what God is doing behind the spiritual realm, but while you're waiting in the physical, God is moving and working and preparing in the spiritual. And so you need spiritual eyes to be able to see and dream and think about what he's building for you. Because God is a God of preparation. And it doesn't sound fun, but most of our life is preparation for what God is preparing for us. When you get saved, you're preparing for heaven. Before that, you're preparing for salvation. And our life is is this journey of ups and downs and activity and preparation, all these things, because God is a God of preparation. We say it here that God moves on prepared people and on prepared environments. Why? Because God is a God of preparation. When he meets with the Hebrews, takes them out of Egypt, takes them into the wilderness, he goes up to the mountain with with, uh, Moses. He tells Moses, here's the things I need you to, to do to prepare for me. And the details were incredible. I need you to build me a tabernacle. But I need to be these exact measurements, these exact materials. I want you to use gold, not silver. Why? Because when God does something, he goes above and beyond the standard. I need you to make all these utensils in a holy place just like this. I need you to prepare the people just like this. I need you to prepare the priests just like this. God has got a preparation. In the Old Testament, he's preparing prophecies, 300 plus prophecies of Jesus to fulfill. You look at the Christmas story, all it is is a bunch of preparations made for the Messiah to come to earth. God is a God of preparation, and so with you, God is preparing something continually for you, even if it feels like you're waiting. Not just in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm, that we live a life of waiting for spiritual things to come our way. Biologically, we're people that we're waiting for things to come our way. In, in your cell life, inside your body, is your body is made up of cells. And these cells have these moments of activity and these moments of waiting, these moments of preparation. If you go back to high school biology, which you probably failed, if you retook that, you'd realize that your cells are active, 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 waiting, 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 active, 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 waiting, 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 waiting. That your cells, before they can multiply, before they can reproduce, before they can become active, before they can grow, they're in these seasons of waiting called interphase. Interphase is this term that in between phases of life of a cell, in between multiplication, in between the, the, the dying, there's these phases called interphase. It just means in between two phases. And so it's ingrained that when God created the universe, he created these cells to have these interphases of waiting biologically to wait before they reproduced again. And some of the phases are the cell cycle is divided into two major phases, interphase and mitosis. Interphase is the longest part of the cell. It's 95% of your cell's life is in waiting. 
Then the cell will grow and it copies its DNA before moving into mitosis. During mitosis, chromosomes will align and separate and move into new daughter cells. And what is happening is when your cells are waiting, they're actually aligning themselves properly. They're creating separation from things that are in the past so they can move into things in the future. And so your body biologically has these rhythms in it that God has created that before things become new, they have these waiting periods or these interphases. And in this interface, your cells are literally separating from the past and realigning and getting the things they need in preparation before they can multiply. Spiritually, you have spiritual DNA. Before your DNA can multiply, it has to be separated from some things of the world. There's some things in the past that do not belong to the answered prayers of your future. There's some things in the past that do, do not belong in your future destiny. There's some things in the past and some people that do not belong in where God is taking you. And so spiritually, in that preparation, in your interface spiritually, God is separating some things away from you so he can start aligning some things in you. And when he aligns those things in you, maybe he's aligning your faith with his word. Maybe he's aligning your heart with his heart. Maybe he's aligning your steps with his steps. But he's aligning things so at the right time you can move from interphase into multiplication. And every blessing of God is a blessing of multiplication. But you can't multiply until you're healthy enough spiritually that God can multiply you in the blessing he wants to bring your way. And so in this spiritual interface, the question is, are you allowing God to prepare your spirit by separating some things out, by beginning to align your life and your soul and your spirit up correctly so he can begin to multiply you? If it happens spiritually, everything that happens biologically it's parallel to something that happens spiritually. And so when you look at the cell, you see things that are spiritual. You say, what's that mean? Well, if you see that God gave us a new birth spiritually, it's parallel with the natural birth. When you see breathing naturally, it's parallel with breathing spiritually. Everything happens for a reason. God gives us a blueprint through the biological concept. Will you play that video real quick? This is actually interface into mitosis under a microscope. As you see those cells multiplying, 95% of the time of the cell's life is in waiting. And then they multiply, they spread, and they grow into something bigger and better. Could you imagine that Jesus, the moment Mary heard from the angel, you can conceive a baby by the Holy Spirit. There was a cell inside of her body that began to multiply. And as it began to multiply, it began to form organs in the body and the life of Jesus inside, 
everything is birthed that begins with spiritual DNA that begins to multiply the line, but it always starts with waiting. So the question for you is this. While you're waiting, are you letting God begin to align you up spiritually so you can receive what he's preparing for you? In the preparation, you get ready to receive or to grow into what God wants for you. So today, I just want to share with you quickly five things God is preparing for you. That he's actually preparing right now for you. He's preparing behind the scenes, behind the spiritual realm. He's preparing for you to walk in, for you to receive, for you to have, for you to inhabit, for you to grab hold of. Because God is a God. As Demi said during worship, he's a God that wants to bless you more than you want to receive. And when he does, it rocks your world. So number one is this. While you wait, God is preparing a plan and purpose for you to fulfill in your life. That you may be waiting and waiting and waiting. You don't realize that God is actually preparing your plan and your purpose. He's been laying it out. He's, he's getting the blueprints together. He's walking it out so you can begin to walk in it. In Jeremiah 2011 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. I'm going to read that again. For I know the plans. God is saying, I know the plans. You may not know the plans, but I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans of welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. That God has good plans out in front of you. He has a purpose out in front of you. He has something he's been working on since before you were formed in your mother's womb. He's got things laid out for you. And while you're waiting, if you're in that waiting season, he's actually preparing your plan and your purpose so you can begin to walk in them fully. It's like when you travel and you're waiting on the tarmac and you're waiting for the, the plane to take off. What you don't realize is in that cockpit that's now closed is those pilots and that co-pilot actually have a checklist and they're going through all the different things that that plane needs before it takes off. And it's actually legal that they have to do this certain pre-flight checklist. Why? Because they want it to be so systematic there can be no failures by overlooking something minor or something that's really small, something that's not specific. And so they'll go through every single thing. Hey, landing gear, down, fuel, correct. All these pressures, all these things. They'll go through this checklist. Why? Because they can't take off until that checklist is made. You may have a plan and purpose. You may be frustrated. Maybe you're younger. And you're like, man, that's, you know, I, I'm 17 and God hadn't told me my plan and my purpose yet. When is it ever going to come up? You know, I'm 25. I'm just waiting on God to give me my purpose. And you're, I don't know. If it, maybe, just maybe, that while you're waiting to find out where God is going to take you, that God is going through a spiritual checklist first. These, hey, where's his heart at? Where's his forgiveness at? Where's his mercy at? Where's this, where's this at? Where's this at? Where's this? And he's going through this pre-flight checklist. But once the pre-flight checklist is marked off, guess what happens? You take off. And some of you, you're waiting. It seems like you're waiting and waiting waiting. But I promise you, the moment the checklist is done, everything expedites and moves that much quicker. That as soon as that checklist is done, you'll see yourself taking off and flying in the direction of the plan and purpose God has placed before you. Because while you're waiting, he's preparing your plan and purpose. Number two, while you wait, God is planning and preparing good works for you to walk in and fulfill. That while you're waiting, God is actually preparing good works for you to accomplish in your life. While you're waiting, God is preparing good things for you to do with your life. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let me read that one more time. For his workmanship, creating in Christ Jesus, what? Four good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Like, you are not saved by works. Like, your works don't save you. You can't do a good, good enough job. You can't do enough good deeds. You're not saved by good works, but you are saved for good works. And part of Christian culture is like, no, you're not saved by works. You're not saved by this. Works are not important. No, no, no. This verse clearly says you're not saved by works, but you're saved for good works. That God literally saved you so that there's some good things you could do with your life. God saved you so that you could accomplish some good things and do some good works that give him glory with the life he saved. God saved you for good works. Now, the good news is, he actually prepares the works for you. You don't have to make anything up. You don't have to try that hard. He'll lay them out before you. He'll give you opportunities to accomplish them. He'll give you, uh, bring people across your path that you can walk out these good works with. The only question is, are you actually walking in them? You realize that tomorrow, God is preparing good works for you to walk in tomorrow. At your job, there's actually good works he's wanting you to accomplish Tomorrow. At school, there's actually good works he's wanting you to accomplish tomorrow. At church, there's actually good works he's wanting you to accomplish tomorrow. He prepares them beforehand, and he gives you the opportunity to walk in them. Now, you may not know the beginning from the end. Like, like our champions here do an incredible job serving through ushers and greeters and parking lot and worship team and, and kids ministry and youth ministry and hospitality and group leaders. All the amazing champions here. What they're doing is they're walking in the good works Jesus has prepared for them ahead of time. And they're actually taking advantage of the opportunity to walk in those good works. Now, they don't see the, the whole picture of what God is actually doing. None of us see the whole picture that how is God using me greeting people at the door to bring redemption for all his people and renewal for the city. Like, you may not see the whole plan of God, but just because you don't see the whole plan of God doesn't mean that what you're doing is not important. Like, I grew up on job sites, construction sites with my dad. When I was 14, I started working with him and and, like, it, it was a terrible experience. My dad was the worst boss you could ever have. I've never been cussed so bad in my entire life. I was I thought I got cussed bad at home. Like, this is ridiculous. I quit. And then he cussed me out for quitting. Said, you can't quit because you can't drive. You came with me. You got to leave with me. So I can't get fired either. So it was a pretty good job. <laughs> I remember he took me one day and we are building this whole, it's like a, I don't know, five or six-story office complex. We go out there, it's just dirt. And they're beginning to, to pour the footers and, and do the foundation. There was pipes we had to put in for electrical work in the foundations. And I just couldn't see it. My dad's like, you don't see it now, but there's going to be a building here. It's going to be six stories. Show me the blueprints. This is kind of what it's going to look like. But all I saw was dirt. And they're running pipe in the, the slab. And I'm like, I just don't get what, how important this is. And then they get the slab done. They put up some steel and we're running pipe. And I'm pulling wire from this place to this place. I'm putting plugs in walls. I just didn't see the whole picture. But what I didn't realize is I'm doing one small job on this job site. While I'm doing some electrical work, there's a plumber who's doing some plumbing work. While he's doing the plumbing work, there's some HVAC guys who are running duct work and putting in HVAC units. 
While they're doing the HVAC stuff, there's roofers putting on a roof. While they're doing that, there's drywall workers putting in some drywall. While they're doing that, there's some flooring guys putting in some flooring. While they're doing that, there's people painting. While they're doing that, there's people putting in ceiling. While they're doing that, we're putting in lights. And at the end of it, all this stuff comes together for this incredibly beautiful building. And so you may not know how your good works can make a difference, but when your good works, God connects some of these good works into those good works. It connects the good works of chapel to the good works of faith church and church of the highlands and underwood baptist and cross point church of Christ. When all those good works come together, it's like God is finally finishing the building. And so it's important that you walk in the good works God prepares because it's not just about you. It's about what God wants to do through you. Do you realize that when you got saved, it wasn't just about you? I don't care what the preacher said. Oh, you know, God just wants to save you. If it was only you, he just wanted to save you. That is junk. Because God saved you, not just because he wanted you, because he wanted to save somebody through you. He was actually, when he looked at you, he wanted to save you because you're connected to another generation, to another generation, and God is a multi-generational God. And that when you walk in your good works, it's actually connecting the dots spiritually for not just you, but for other people to see the glory of God. Because in this scripture, it says your good works give glory to the God the Father for saving you. See, what kind of glory does God get if you get saved, you raise your hand, you get baptized, but your life stays exactly the same. Tell people, oh, man, I, I got saved. They're like, oh, okay. Yeah, you know, I'm giving, I'm giving my life. God saved me for his glory. Well, you're still cussing at the water cooler at work. Like, what's different? See, the difference between you pre-salvation and post-salvation should be your works. And he gives us the opportunity because he's preparing good works for you to walk in so that he can receive glory. This word workmanship in this scripture actually in the Greek is poema, which means poem. That you are God's poem to the entire universe as he saved you. It's like he's putting these words together in this articulate manner to give glory to him through the life that you live. And it doesn't matter where you come from or what you've done, that your life now exists for the glory of God. It's almost like, and I'll show my age a little bit. I'm a big Sanford and Sons fan. Now, if you don't know what that is, I'm sorry your parents abused you as a child. You can go to YouTube and you can find out, Lamont, you big dummy. Like, I love that. Like, I love Red Fox's humor, like the junkyard mentality. There's actually a junkyard in Texas. Kind of like, I'm sure he's not like Red Fox. But something like it, where his whole purpose is he gathers junk in his junkyard. And he begins to take some of that junk. And as he takes the junk, he begins to make it into beautiful pieces of art. And he'll take that art, he'll sell it all across America, even over parts of the world, to buy this stuff that other people had thrown away, other people had put in a junkyard, other people had sold for scrap, other people thought was worthless. But him, when he takes it, he takes that which is worthless, and he builds it into something that displays beauty to other people. And then it sells something that was junk before, now selling for five to $10,000. Not that the junk changed, but the way he organized it and restructured it changed. 
And so it doesn't matter what you gave God before you got saved. If you gave him addiction or brokenness or, or fear or anxiety or sinfulness or adultery or divorce. It doesn't matter what you gave him before. God takes your junk at salvation. He takes it for himself. He purchases your scrap from you. He gives you a new life. Then he takes your junk and he begins to build it into something beautiful. Where other people see worthlessness, he sees worth. Where other people see your junk, now they see beauty. God takes what you had and turns it into something better. But he can only do that through works. So what are you giving God to work with? He's preparing works for you. Are you actually taking advantage of the opportunity? Tomorrow when you go to, church, when you go to work, you're going to have the opportunity to walk into good works. There's going to be people there that are broken. There's going to be people there that are down. That Maybe the good work is just you encouraging them. Hey, I know even a bad day, but I was at church yesterday, and there was this little African guy singing. I can't even understand what he talks. I can't understand. But when he sings, the glory of God comes down. And he was talking about the goodness of God, how the goodness of God is running after me. Like that's a, maybe a good work God will have you to walk in. Maybe it's holding the door open for somebody. Maybe it's just encouraging someone. Maybe it's just smiling at somebody. Maybe it's praying for someone. But God prepares works for you to walk in. Or are you walking in them? But number three, while you're waiting, God is preparing a kingdom for you to inherit. Literally, while you wait. And I believe this one, for the, the New Testament believers, was the biggest one. They're waiting and they're waiting. They're under this oppressive Roman Empire. And they're waiting and they're waiting. They thought Jesus would come back quickly. And they're saying, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. They're waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting. But God didn't come yet because God is preparing the kingdom for them to inherit. I think for us, it's easy to look around and see, man, this world is broken. Like you look at political division, it's broken. You look at political ads, it's broken. You look at sickness and disease, it's broken. You look at injustices and racism, it's broken. You look at extreme poverty in other countries, even here, it's broken. When you look at this world, it's broken. No matter how patriotic you are, this country is broken. We're under a broken kingdom. And God is preparing a new kingdom for you and I to inhabit. And so while we're waiting, he's preparing the kingdom. Matthew 25, verse 34, Jesus said this. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. He's preparing the kingdom. Hebrews eleven sixteen. 16. But as it is, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their father, for he has prepared for them a city. That city is Revelation 21, the perfect kingdom coming down. Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let, thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship in reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. That when Jesus came, he started the kingdom, but now he's preparing the kingdom for us to inherit for all of eternity. And so the kingdom of God is already that as soon as we get saved, the kingdom of heaven starts now, but it's also not yet. So we're in this waiting or this interface between receiving the kingdom and inhabiting the kingdom. I receive the kingdom the Holy Spirit dwells within me, but I inhabit the kingdom when God brings heaven down to earth or when I go to heaven in the meantime. And so it's this one, inauguration and consummation. Two theological words, inauguration and consummation. Inauguration means something is started. Consummation means it's finished. 
And so the kingdom of heaven is inaugurated, meaning it started. Jesus said, the disciples said, well, you know, where, where is the kingdom of heaven? Is it, is it here? Is it there? They expect it to be a political kingdom. You know, is it Rome? Is it Jerusalem? Is it, is it here? Is it there? And he said, no, no, no. The kingdom of heaven is on the inside of you. Meaning it's inaugurated. It started. Now, it's not consummated because when it's consummated, it means all of us are part of the kingdom. So until then, we're waiting because God is preparing the kingdom. That's why when you pray for the sick, sometimes they get healed, sometimes they don't. Why? The kingdom of heaven has started, but it's not complete yet. That's when you, you go out and try to renew the, the, the culture around us or the city around us. We can have an impact, but it's not complete because it's inaugurated but not consummated yet. The other way to look at it is when Jesus came, he gave spiritual authority or spiritual territory as part of the kingdom for the believers. When he comes again, it'll be a physical territory. The difference is profound. I can walk in spiritual kingdom now. But there is going to come a time where I walk in a physical kingdom that Jesus brings down to earth. That's what Christmas is about. We look back at the kingdom starting, but we look forward to the kingdom coming. Looking forward to when all this brokenness is destroyed. Looking forward to when all this sickness is destroyed. Looking forward to when there's no more sorrow, no more pain, no more disease, no more funerals, no more death, no more agony, no more frustration, no more hatred, no more violence. Why? And we're in this in-between interface. And we're waiting and waiting for it to come. So the best question wouldn't be, where's the kingdom? The best question would be, where is the king? For where the king is, there's the kingdom also. He said, well, where's the king? Well, yes, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, but he told the disciples, hey, it's better that I go away because if I go away, I'm going to send the comforter or the Holy Spirit to come with you. So the king is sitting at the right hand of the Father, but his spirit, the spirit of the king is with us, so the kingdom of heaven is here right now. He's with you right now. The authority, the benefits, the resources, the blessings of the king are with you right now. But there's coming a day when the kingdom comes down. And we're waiting for that day. Number four, while you wait, God is preparing the way for you to get through whatever you're sitting in. Did you realize that while you wait... You may think, I'm frustrated. Like, it just seems like I've been in the same cycle or the same pattern. It feels like I've been looking at the same thing or the same, the same obstacles, the same mountain, the same things forever and ever. While you're waiting, God is actually preparing a way for you to get through whatever you're going through. In Isaiah 45, 2, he says, I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. And Isaiah 43, 19, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. That while you're waiting, God is preparing a road for you to get from point A to point B. While you're waiting, he's preparing a way through the wilderness, across the Jordan River, into your promise. While you're waiting, God is preparing a way. So in your marriage, it seems like you just can't break through. While you're waiting and praying, God is preparing a way through for unity in your marriage. While you're waiting through your sickness and you're praying and you're praying, God is preparing a way through to your healing. While you're waiting, 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 it seems like you can't break through this cycle. God is preparing a new way through the desert to bring you to your place of promise and your place of destiny. While you're waiting, God is preparing a way. Now, you can try to go on your own. 
But, you know, for me, I used to try to hike. Now that I've gotten a little bit older, a little bit fatter, a little bit more bald, I'm not hiking. I am driving. I get tired walking to my car. I'm now walking past my car. But there was a day when I would hike. You know, when you hike, you got to find your own way. Yeah, there's trails, but you may have to go through some brush. You may have to go off the path. It's harder because you have to find your own route through from point A to point B. It's going to take you longer. You may turn an ankle. You may get some briars. You may get some poison ivy. I don't want poison ivy. You may want poison ivy. I don't want poison ivy. So I can push it and try to find my own way through, or I can be patient and wait till God builds a road. Now, here we don't have this problem because there's no construction on the roads because there's so many red lights. They don't have to do construction because you're waiting already. In Nashville, there's construction continually on the roads. So you'll wait in traffic, you'll wait in traffic, you'll wait in traffic, and you'll be waiting in traffic, and you'll see little old people pass you walking on the interstate. It's that slow. But you know what they're doing while I'm waiting? They're cutting a pass through a mountainside. While I'm waiting, they're cutting a new road. Instead of it being a two-lane road, now it's going to be a four-lane or six-lane road. While I'm waiting, they're building a bridge so I can pass over a river or a lake. See, while you're waiting in traffic, you're not just waiting. They're preparing the way for you. And sometimes spiritually, as you're frustrated because you feel like you're in a traffic jam, spiritually, as you're frustrated, as you're sitting there waiting, thinking, what is God doing? He's preparing a road that when he opens up the construction, you can drive clearly and easily into your destiny. And so it may not feel like it right now because you're in the traffic jam of life, but once God finishes preparing the road, it's going to be clear sailing from that point on. And some of you need to know that in your marriage, it may feel like you're butting up against traffic cones and and those barrels and those signs that say, move over to the right. And you're like, I don't want to move over to the right because that's where all the other cars, it feels like you're being merged into traffic. But guess what? God is preparing the road into the promise. And fifthly, while you're waiting, God is preparing a house as an eternal home for you to live in. Right now, while you're waiting, Jesus didn't just go to sit next to the Father. He's preparing a home for you to dwell in, to rest in, to experience his presence completely and fully in. Like this life that you live is, while you're waiting, God is preparing For your home, it says this in John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. Do you realize the disciples were devastated? That Jesus, the man they gave up everything to follow, was telling them, hey, listen, it's our last night together. Tonight I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be crucified, all this. And they're like, Jesus, no. No, that can't happen. You're supposed to be the king, you're supposed to do this. They were devil. Peter said, no. And Jesus said, I rebuke you, Satan. See, Jesus knew that he wasn't just about to die. He's about to be crucified, resurrected, and then ascended into heaven to prepare a place for us to be with him for all of eternity. Not just for 33 and a half years on earth, but for all of eternity. He's preparing a a place for you, a house, a mansion, 
There's many rooms. And growing up in construction, construction just doesn't happen immediately. You can get a spec house. Spec house is a house they just kind of build one particular house over and over again. You can move into it, but it's bare walls, bare floors. Or you can build a custom house. Custom house, you get to pick out the colors, the carpet, the flooring. The color of the roof, the color of the exterior, what type of driveway, what type of garage doors you want, what type of window. You get to customize. Right now, Jesus is customizing you a house that's specifically built for you to enjoy for all of eternity. And as you're living your life now, you're actually living in preparation yourself to move in. That the moment you get saved, you get the keys to the house. He said, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. He gives you the keys, but you don't actually get to move in until your life is over. And so until then, you're preparing to move in. I don't know about you, but when you're preparing to move in a new house, you start throwing out some things. You start getting rid of some junk out of the house. Why? I don't want to move that into my new house. And once you get saved, you get a new address that you're going to move into at some point. So you spend the rest of your life getting out some of the baggage, preparing for the new house you're going to live in. There's an old story, old, old, old story about this clever king. There was this kingdom. And this kingdom, they had this, this kind of ritual, this tradition, this custom, that they would get a new king every single year. At the end of the king's term, at the end of the king's year, they would take him to this old deserted island, and they'd drop them off on this island. And they'd get a new king, and they'd start over. So they'd tell every king, hey, this is our ritual. You'll be king for a year. You'll live like a king, but then you go live on this deserted island. So most of the kings loved the year they were king, and they dreaded the day that they were taken to the deserted island. So one time they're at the end of the term, they, they take the king, they put him in the nicest clothes they have, they'd ride him through an elephant through town, they put him on a ship and begin to take him to the deserted island. Drop him off the deserted island, you could hear the animals, the wildlife, it's just a ravaged, deserted island. Drop him off, he's crying, he's dreadful. As they're going back, they find a, a ship that had wrecked. And there was one guy floating on a piece of lumber they grabbed him and said, hey, you can be our king. We don't have a king. Will you be our king? He's like, I, I don't know if I'm king material. And they told him kind of the story that, hey, you're only king for 12 months. Then we take you to this deserted island. He said, okay, I'll do it. They make him king in front of all the people. Here's our new king. And three days after he's installed as king, he says, can you all take me to the deserted island? So they take him out to the deserted island, and he hears the wildlife. He hears all this stuff, and he kind of goes beyond the the jungle off the beach, and he finds all the dead bodies of the previous kings. He comes back and he says, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to send a hundred of the strongest men we have to this deserted island. And I want you, while you're there, to cut down some of the excess trees. I want you to begin building me a house. I want you to begin to plant some gardens and some vineyards and some fruit trees and this kind of thing, kill off some of the wildlife. And this king, instead of living like a king for the next 12 months, he lived simply. He kept his resources, a salary from being king, he kept them and put them aside in savings. He'd send them with a hundred men to build him a stock house with all his money on this deserted island. Three months in before his term was up, he asked, he said, can I just go to my deserted island now? They said, no, you got to do the full 12 months. He says, okay, so after that three months is over, they put him on an elephant in the nicest clothes they have. He is waving, he is excited. Somebody asked him, they said, why are you so happy and smiling when all the other kings before you were so sad and tearful? And he says, don't you know what the wise people say? They say that when you came into this world as a baby, you were crying and everyone was smiling. 
Live such a life that when you are to die, you will be smiling and everyone around you will be crying. I have lived that life while the other kings were lost in the luxuries of the kingdom. I always thought about the future and planned for it. I turned the deadly island into a beautiful abode for me where I can stay forever peacefully. That as you live right now, you are preparing to live in your mansion, in your house, in the kingdom of heaven for all of eternity. And while you're waiting and preparing, Jesus is actually preparing for you. So is the waiting worth it? I don't know about you. I don't know anybody else that I would wait on that can give me those five things. A plan and a purpose they're preparing for me. Good works to walk in. A kingdom to inhabit. A home to have. And a way through when it seems impossible. He gives me a way through. The waiting, I'm telling you, is worth it. It's worth it. And as you're waiting in line at Disney World and you're sitting there thinking, man, this is not going to be worth it. It's going to be the greatest ride of your entire life. So just because you're in a season waiting doesn't mean God is finished. It means he's preparing something next. If you would, just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes just for one quick moment. You can live your life enjoying the luxuries of today or you can begin preparing for tomorrow. There were three men that died and went to heaven. Peter said, come on in, guys. I've got to show you your homes. And the first two got these beautiful mansions. First guy got his, second guy got his, the third guy was excited to see his mansion. He shows up, it's just a grass hut. He's frustrated with, with Peter. He said, what, is this all I get? And Peter said, sorry, buddy, that's all you sent, up, sent us up here to work with. See, the moment you get saved, you start storing things up in heaven. And so the question would be, what are you giving God to work with? to prepare your place for all of eternity. The first thing you need to give him is your own life. You lay down your life so you can live his life. You call that repentance. I'm laying down myself, my pride, my sin, my, my arrogance, my desire to lead my own way, my own opinions. I'm, I'm laying down all this stuff so I can be born again in him. And now I'm gonna try to live my life as him living through me. And maybe some of you, maybe you've said a prayer before, maybe you raised your hand before, but maybe you've never actually repented. Maybe you've never actually laid down your life to begin to follow Jesus and allow Jesus to live through you. So he can do good works through you, so he can fulfill a plan and purpose through you, so he can finish some things he wants to do in other people's life through you. Maybe today's the day. Maybe the Holy Spirit's telling you today's your day. Maybe your season of waiting ends the day. You begin walking in the fullness of salvation. That's you. I'm not going to have you stand up. I'm not going to have you come forward. This is one private moment in the whole Sunday morning. If you say that's me, that's what, in a second, I just want you to just raise your hand so I can, one, pray with you, but two, point you in the direction of resources because we believe salvation is the beginning of a life with Jesus, not the end of your journey. You say, you know what, that's me. And Pastor, I just want to say yes to Jesus this morning and, and begin to walk with him. If that's you, just slip your hand up real quick. Anybody else? Thank you. Upstairs. Anybody else?
pray in just a second. When I pray, if you would do me a favor, if you were those who raise your hands, if you would walk out to the connection point and just say, hey, I, I, I raised my hand. I said that prayer with the pastor. They're going to get you a free gift that's going to help you on your journey. They're going to follow up with you, just encourage you, love on you, and just tell you how incredibly excited we are for you. But Father, we thank you for even seasons of waiting and just waiting and waiting and waiting, waiting for answered prayer, waiting for loved ones to get saved. I thank you for this moment of repentance, of confession and salvation. For those that raise their hand, I just pray the blood of Jesus over their minds, their bodies, their souls, and their spirits. I pray they're born again spiritually into your kingdom. I pray they don't have to fix anything up. Father, you make them a new creation in Christ. Set them apart, make them holy, and use them for your glory here on earth. And so we bless you in this place, and we thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said.